Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Child Whisperer. This is Carol Tuttle, your host. I am the author of The Child Whisperer, a best-selling book that you can find at thechildwhisperer.com. And I'm really grateful for all the parents that are committed to raising happy, successful, and cooperative children by following this model of understanding your child's true nature, the energetic expression that they're born with. So thanks for joining me today. The phones are open, and I look forward to supporting you in your parenting goals and dilemmas and re- and resolving them today, just call in at 347-677-1963 and then press one to speak with me. Our topic today is how child whispering works with special needs children part two. I previously did a show on this that you can find in the archives and we continue to get questions on this particular life experience. So uh, we were Really excited to be able to revisit it today. But as always, let's start with a success story today. And this mom wrote to me, she said, the other day, my type two five-year-old son was feeling emotional because he was disappointed about something that happened earlier in the day. I needed him to practice singing a song for a program at church. As he was signing it, as he was singing, it sounded like he was about to cry. I stopped the song to ask him what was wrong. As we talked, I was inspired to simply ask him if he needed a hug. He said yes, and we gave each other a big hug. The hug after the hug, he was totally fine and able to sing. It was such a sweet moment and an important reminder to me of the power of hugs. I'm a type one mom, and I'm so grateful for my sweet boy and how he teaches me with his tender heart. Oh, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> I'm tearing up. I love how this mom shared key word here. And this is what I love about the child whisperer. Because I give you the general idea of how to parent each type of ch- child in the child whisperer book. There's, It's a 420 page book with over 80 something pages for each type of child. So you get a sense of what I'm talking about. And then This amazing thing happens in your parenting experience that this mom says so beautifully. As we talked, I was inspired to simply ask him if he needed a hug. And in that moment, that mom, because she has this understanding now of what supports this little boy, she was able to receive the inspiration to then offer that support. So every type of child has very specific response mechanisms that if you don't understand their nature, they're not able to respond because you're not offering them the correct parenting support to have them respond accordingly. And so a lot of children are stressed out in the world today because they're not wanting to be, 
and parents aren't wanting to stress their children out. It's just what happens when you don't understand this model. So thank you, Mom, for sending that in. So today's topic, and again, give me a call. If you have another topic, it doesn't have, if you're calling in, it's not necessary that you actually have a question specific to today's topic. This um, comes in from a type one mom. I'm a type one, but my question is to help my type four mother deal with her 45-year-old daughter that has lived a life filled with drama and high maintenance experiences. My sister is a type two, and we suspect her of sociopathic behavior, lying, manipulation. She brings drama that causes conflict. What can my mom do to help the situation? My sister is going through a messy divorce and has moved back in with my mom. She has four children, one of which is a biological child in the middle of a huge custody battle. The other three are kids that my sister has adopted. They are all under the age of 10, and they all have mental health needs. She has a long history of being very controlling and lashing out verbally in a meticulous and calculating way. Any tips are appreciated. Well, how you're describing your sister, um, I'm going to suggest possibly consider she may be a different type than a type 2. Because type 2s aren't known. We don't usually use the phrase meticulous and calculating. Um, that would be more apt to describe someone that's a type 4 energy that's running in a dysfunctional pattern. What's, that's being, that's a byproduct of a deeper wound. And to be meticulous and calculating is a need to control so that they don't, they have a belief running that is, if I don't control you, you'll control me. And if your sister is a type 4 with a type 4 mom, See, there's this sort of battle of the wills going on and who's the true authority. And with your mother not knowing her daughter's type growing up, she's not, she's, what happens is when you're wounded in your childhood, you're then, if that wound goes unhealed, you're either living life from that wound and a place of depression, despair, dysfunction or you're living trying to counter it and then you hype everything's a hyper reaction to it and that you know when you're talking about a 45 year old child it's a little difficult but what a great opportunity for I mean we've got a sister writing in a question about a mother and another sister who are all adults so right away um I mean, in your type one nature, you want them all to be happy. So I understand your motive here. But ultimately, these people have issues to work out. And consider the possibility life circles us back to the places we need to go with the people we need to resolve things with. It would serve both of these people to read the child whisperer. See, I don't know if they've read that. So if it's just you having this awareness, there's not much you can do about it. They're adults. And there are children involved, but again, the adults have a priority in this space to make the choices they're making because they're adults. And so my recommendation to you is um, to invite them both to read The Child Whisperer. There's an old wound operating, and it's going to reactivate and patterns from the past will come back into play when a 
child, adult child moves back into a parent's home, uh, the, it become that parent child energy gets activated and old stories are played out, except that you're now dealing with an adult child who thinks they have a lot more say and can be have a lot stronger response to counter the parents pattern of interacting with them. So my tip is have them both read the child whisper. Um, otherwise you're just not able, you know, you're the only one informed here. I have a caller. Amy's calling in. Hi, Amy. Hi. How can I help you today? Well, I am a type four mom. Um, we, I encountered your work so it's nice to kind of have some language, more language to describe our interactions um, with me and my kids. My oldest son is a type four. Um, he's about seven years old. And uh, for the last seven years I've known, he's very much like me. Um, mm -hmm. I see a lot of his, a lot of, a lot of my childhood memories and, and feelings and um, actions I have seen reflected in him. Um, and so I'm not at all surprised to find out that he is indeed my type. Um, and my husband is also a type four. So we've got a lot of authority mm -hmm. <laughs> going around with the, with our mm -hmm. oldest son. Um, and as we've been raising him, we have avoided, um, forcing our children to say, I'm sorry, because we don't want them to think that. All you have to do is say it and you're off the hook. Whether you feel sorry or not, if you say it, you can, you, in other words, you can say it without really meaning it. And so instead we've tried to have them, you know, do something to make it better. We've asked, how can you make it better? What can you do? And we've taught that when you, you know, do something to hurt somebody, you should say, I'm part of, part of fixing it is saying, I'm sorry, but we don't force them to do it. Um, but our concern now with our seven-year-old is that um, he just doesn't—he doesn't say "I'm sorry," and he's really uncomfortable um, admitting to making mistakes, even if he accidentally bumps into somebody or or hurts somebody accidentally that we can tell is an accident. He's not comfortable apologizing for it, or even saying "excuse me" or are you okay or anything like that? So I'm looking for some support in helping him come to that place where he's comfortable making mistakes. Um, and are you pointing this out to him in the actual setting it occurred? Yeah, usually. And that, that's, that, that's what's off. That's where the attention's going then is on his behavior. And now he's feeling put, on the spot and it's embarrassing. So he's going to shut down. Uh -huh. So he can't respond the way you want. He's going to, now he's in survival mode of trying to just yeah. manage a very, very uncomfortable situation. So yeah. the place to have that con. Yeah. The con, the place it's a private, that needs to be a private conversation with him and then let him handle it and then follow up with another private conversation and let him choose. Don't point it out every time it presents in a place where others are present and he's put on the spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's actually more shaming to him than the, whatever he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it's awkward. Chastised in front of. Yeah, he feels really awkward, and then he's being put in the. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's awkward, and his whole system shuts. He just goes into survival mode energetically, which is mm -hmm. to freeze up. Yeah. Well, the times when we've talked about it have just been within our immediate family. Like even still, I don't recall, it's, it's no different. I don't recall doing it outside, but yeah, it's no different. There's other people around. Mm -hmm. He's not, he, these are just natural response mechanisms that he has. See, yeah. it's not well, like he's willfully, it triggers this. You're triggering this in him and then you can force an issue, but then you're not really teaching and guiding. You're just forcing and you're trying to teach him to ignore what's a natural emotional response, which is I'm really uncomfortable right now and I feel guilty and I'm embarrassed, and I'm, he's flooded with emotion. He doesn't know what to do with that, so he goes into defense mode. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I, I know, intellectually, I know that he probably does feel sorry and feel remorse. Yeah, but see, the way you're managing it is triggering this whole emotional scenario. Mm -hmm. If you were to ignore it and then have a conversation in private with him and support him and say this to him, I know you do feel, how can I support you so that you're able to be confident in how do you want to handle that? What would you like to say? Yeah. That, that's the kind of conversation you have in private. That's true to ask him what he. Yeah. How would you handle that? Express. What do you feel is right? Okay, I'd like because to support you in that. Yeah, yeah. We'll give that a try. It's hard for type four parents because you think. <laughs> but again, he's showing you it'd be no different that if I were at lunch with you with a group of friends and you bumped into one of the friends and I turned to you and said, Amy, would you please apologize? Where are you going to go right now with that? You're going to go to, you're kidding me. I mean, I'm embarrassed. I'm, it feels awkward. Why did you just tell me to do that? I'm smart enough to know. Yeah. Yeah. See, if I did that to you, that's every, that's where the energy would go. Your thoughts would go there. Your emotion would go there. And all of a sudden you're like, don't tell me what to do. And now I'm really embarrassed and you're kidding me. Really? <laughs> yeah. So put yourself in that situation. How would you feel if someone were doing that to you? So if we start from a place where we assume, we, we say, we understand that you feel sorry when you hurt somebody. I don't know. Ask how him. How can you express that? Yeah, see, all, you're having the conversation without him when you do that. Ask him, do you, do you feel it's appropriate for people to, don't say about him, just say, how do you, you know, person A does this to person B. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is the correct, you know, what, what, what's good manners there? See, don't make it about him. Teach, teach, um, kind of teach this kind of behavior. Just talking about um, people that are no names. You know, yeah. let's talk about a guy named, you know, Sam, and he was da 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 with Fred. And you know, make it a little bit fun for him, so it's not you know, even though he is the more serious child. Again, the I find with my type four grandson, if I make things a little bit. I kind of take the logical into a little illogical, but to try and get his attention, he starts to laugh with me and he's really paying attention now. 
I had this really fun, his mother will say to him, when they aren't being agreeable, Jenny will say, say yes, mom. And he'll go, yes, mom. So one night when I was visiting them, um, Jenny or Seth was asking his mother, who's my daughter, I'm the mother to her, saying, mom, can I do this? Da, 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 da. And Jenny's like, no. And I said, I looked at Jenny. I said, Jenny, say yes, mom. And I did the exact same thing to my, because now Seth's watching this going, okay. Oh, wow. That's my mom's mom. And she can do the same thing to her. <laughs> it was just, he was in stitches. And now he'll come to me and say, go do the say yes, mom thing. You know, so see again, make sure you're not making it so, so it's like, this is, you're teaching a child what I think they naturally are born to want to be considered of other people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, let's fall on the side of let's assume they do, but set up scenarios where that they can say what you want them to say. And then you say, that's right. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, um, when you assure a child that it's okay to make mistakes, does that work with a type four child? Like to say, well, yes, the thing okay I say is there, or do they, well, I don't call it a mistake, you know, what it's just whatever. I don't, I'm not into the whole mistake thing. I just have always felt like everything is just what happens. And it's like, it's not necessarily a mistake. It's just, well, what could be different or what would you rather experience, but it doesn't have to qualify for a mistake. So mm -hmm. I don't, I've just never been one to give that reference to things very strongly, but thanks for calling in. And I'm really excited because you're going to have a really fun, positive experience with your son and sharing this with him. I've got another question that was sent to me. It says, it's, I think it's type four mommy day because this is from a type four mom. And Every, this is my third question for the podcast and it's um, regarding another type four mom. And she says, I'm a type four mom and I struggle with my type one, two year old with eating. I get anxious about it because she has a rare metabolic disorder and eating is her only medicine. Her disorder is called MCAD. It is characterized by her body's inability to use stored fat as energy. As such, her only source of energy comes from food. If she doesn't or can't eat after a certain period of time, her body begins to shut down and she's, and she can experience such things as cardiac arrest or liver failure. She can currently go up 12 hours without eating, which is about how much she sleeps at night. So breakfast is extremely important for her to get her through the night. I also need to feed her a bedtime snack. The problem is that breakfast and bedtime snack are the hardest meals for me to get her to eat. They are always a battle, and it usually ends in tears for one or both of us. I know that type 1 children need things light and fun. I have tried everything I know of to get her to eat in a fun way. I have asked her to eat like a puppy or pretend that she is a baby bird. I've been silly and let her eat her food with a toothpick. She does these until she's bored of doing it. In the end, she still doesn't eat enough, according to her dietitian. Do you have any suggestions of what more I can do to help her eat? Her health literally depends on how well she eats, and I'm out of ideas and very desperate. Um, you know, this is a life, this is a critical matter, and I want to say, thank goodness she had, I think any type of mother could handle this, but you have certain natural tendencies that really support your child in making sure there's consistency and the structure around her eating. And my sense is you need to take it out of the optional, this is fun, 
other things need to be fun in her life. Eating is just, you don't have a choice. You need to eat and you need to treat it like that. And you need, she's only two, so she's not going to understand that necessarily. But you need to just have a very, you know, she's going to grow to understand that, that eating for her is a critical matter. It's medicine, as you said. So you need to, you need to go, it's okay for you to treat it like that and just say, um, you know, if it turns out being fun, great. If not, just this is the way it is. You have to eat this. It's, you know, you don't have another option. <laughs> and it may look like tears and battles at times. I think you'll settle into it more. I think it's wearing you out because you're trying to make this so creative and fun-loving. But I think your situation um, surpasses that. The bottom line is you've just got to make sure your child has the meals at the timelines that you know is correct. And I think as you settle into that being okay and just saying this is a, this is a very matter-of-fact situation. Um, it's required for this child's well-being and I have to treat it as such and occasionally it's delightful and we have some fun other times we just get the job done and it's taken care of and as you're less stressed about it and able to manage it from that space I think she'll feel less stressed my sense is she's picking up on the stress you're running around this because you're exhausted as you've said from this sort of trying to make this so fun what else could you create and again she's only two so in the next year, couple of years, there could be some fun rewards for her commitment to eat at the time she needed and to educate her. You have, she's old enough now to start informing her about her condition. It's just the way it is. You know, I have a, one of my children's a type one diabetic, um, my adopted son, and there was just that's that was his life. You know, that is what he has to deal with. And it will, it, it, as you teach her good habits, she'll be able to manage this successfully and not have any side effects from it. So I think you're doing a great job. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to make sure it's fun all the time. That's just too much to ask of yourself. I have a, from a type 1 mom, she writes in, my 11-year-old son is a type 3 with a secondary 2. He has trouble doing his homework. He attends a Montessori school that he's been in since first grade. He's a sixth grader now, and I expect him to be on top of his assignments and able to manage himself better than he does. I worry that he may have ADD or some other learning disability since we did have him tested a few years back, and they said he showed signs of it. At that time, they didn't recommend any additional support for him because he was getting enough support at the school. But now he's older, and I'm not seeing as much improvement. I consistently worry that I am not doing enough to help him and that he's not working up to his capacity because of these diff difficulties with his attention span. I would prefer to help him using energy work versus any drugs or other therapies that conventional conventional systems recommend. How do I support with this homework, especially if he does have ADD? Um, you're, he may have some mental challenges with being able to stay focused, and so he needs some nutritional support there. And you seem to be open to more alternative methods. I've given out this company's name multiple times, True Hope. Dot com is a resource that helps children with where they have uh, needs with mental challenges. ADD is a strong one that they address. And so go to truehope.com and connect with them. They have another side of their business called Q Sciences. One is a, a basic retail um, 
The other is network marketing. Both have solid products. You can decide for yourself which route to go, but I highly recommend them. And I'm getting a sense too, you need to take a look at his diet. And is there something in there? And how you do that is notice uh, some of the, the biggest allergens that affect us on a mental level are wheat and dairy. Uh, now those become, if he's on pasteurized milk and a big milk drinker, I'd invite you to consider taking him off dairy. And also it's easy to get off the gluten in the world in which we live in to really minimize the gluten and see if his behavior shifts. But a lot of times the, you know, and is he eating processed foods? You know, I don't, I've never been, it, maybe I was ahead of my time, but you know, it's become very popular in the world in which we live today that parents are getting more educated around the harmful uh, impact processed foods have on our children. Sodas, uh, processed packaged goods. Most of what you buy at the grocery store, if it's not in the in the surrounding, anything's up and down the aisles <laughs> is processed. In the exterior, this, you want to buy your food from what's on the outside of the aisles, the produce, the meats. We're very, uh, very conscious of our food. We only eat uh, grass-fed beefs and uh, cage-free chicken and eggs. We we have next to no preservatives in our diet. My, I've raised my children that way, and my daughter Anne's taken it a whole nother level. And you can find some other podcasts and recommendations here on the Child Whisper podcast and past shows that we've talked about these things. But get educated about that. A lot of bloggers to support you. One of the top bloggers to support non-processed diet for children is 100 Days of Real Food. The only thing is she's um, fairly strong on, she uses wheat and dairy. I don't eat, my children did not drink. It was rare. They had some milk for their cereal growing up. Cereal wasn't even a big player in their diet. Now, if I use any dairy, we have the good fortune of being able to get raw milk here in Utah at a local health food store. And so I'm just not a fan of homogenized uh, pasteurized milk. So check that out for this child. And the whole family will benefit because you'll learn how to get your family eating better because this one child is a catalyst in bringing you there. And that was the truth case for my oldest son. When he was 18 months old, he was diagnosed with severe ear infections that had multiple rounds of um, an attempt to clear his ear infections with multiple rounds of antibiotics. And by his, when I was sitting in the doctor, when he was about to put him on his fifth round of antibiotics within about a five, six month window, I just said, I'm not doing this. It's not right. There's an, I told the doctor I've been reading and there's a um, possibility that he has an allergic reaction and it's manifesting as ear infections. Doctor thought I was crazy. He wanted to put tubes in his ears. In my type three way, before I knew I was a type three, I took my son and I said, I'm going to go find someone that will help me get help me get my son well. And it changed my whole approach. I learned very early how important diet was in a child's life because this one child kind of brought me to that place to in order to help him. And I'm very, very grateful that showed up. My next question, uh, Carol, I'm not sure of my type. I think I'm a type two or a type four, but I look like a type one. I'm still working on learning my type. I just bought your book last night. 
And I'm so excited to read it. We have five living children and one in heaven. I've noticed that I changed quite a bit after having a very traumatic first pregnancy and birth experience that resulted in the loss of one of our identical twin boys. This also left our survivor with multiple medical issues and handicaps. We have been blessed with four other children since then. I don't know any of their energy types yet, but I want to know if you think having a very medically needy child in the family affects the energy types of the other children in the home. I can't see that it has effect. I can see that it has affected both my husband and me. I also noticed that some of my children can sense my stress level and then start being helping out more to relieve the stress load. Is this response due to their energy types being more likely to serve or is it just a learned response? They look like a different type than how their mannerisms and personality play out. So I am confused. Hopefully as I finish the book, I will have more insight. I just wondered how having a more needy child in the family affects the other children. Thank you. Great question. Um, you know, even when you're in a dysfunctional, stressful environment, which yours has had a lot of stress, so a lot of survival mechanisms are employed. Well, we do those true to our type as well. See, so even in our more stress response, survival response, defense mechanisms that kick in are very true to our type. And so, no, that won't, nothing shuts down this energy. This energy is alive and well. And that's why the face profiling and body profiling, including body language, are so important because we'll make an effort to override our true nature, thinking that who we are is detrimental and it's adding to the stress. But physical features are very telling as body language is so telling and that never gets shut down. And so in yourself, it's important that you look at your, if you say, but I look like a type one, well, you may be running a secondary energy in an effort to survive and to handle the stress and you're not having enough fun and lighthearted experiences in your life to nurture your type one. And then with your children, you say their mannerisms and they look like a different type than how their mannerisms and personality play out. Well, I don't believe anyone shuts this energy down 100%. And I've met some women that almost, you know, they were close to it. I remember a type one gal that was in her 80s that I met several years ago in my early days of developing this information. But when given the, when out of nowhere, she was a type one, but she was very still and she was very careful. But in a, you know, in these moments, she would come out with just these sort of animated, um, light hearted responses. And there it was, you'd see it. And then, she, you know, her energy would then feel unsafe. And so she'd go back into her carefulness. And so you'll see it, you'll always see it. But again, the feet, the body profiling is such a valuable tool to really see our own truth and to see our children's truth. And let me remind you about the video series that I have at the child with the childwhisper.com website. There's 26 videos that you can resource to see. Each video highlights a different either mom or mom and dad and then different types of children. And we're talking about their types and we're showing it on camera and that will help you get more familiar with what you're learning in the book. So make sure that you check out those videos. This is my last call for uh, live callers. 
at 347-677-1963. Press 1. I appreciate my live callers and those of you that write in. It's great. I've got a couple new blog posts for you to check out. We have 10 things to do to make sure your child hates music lessons. Now, this is done in a little bit of a playful way here. 10 things to do to make sure your child hates music lessons. Well, the whole point in this post is for you to examine, if your child's in music lessons, make sure you read this post to kind of evaluate yourself and say, to what degree am I doing this? And then in the next um, several weeks, my daughter, you'll read this delightful story of my oldest daughter, who is very musically gifted, who uh, came to that sort of through, uh, well, read the story. It's, it's a good read. It's, it'll give you inspiration as a parent and you'll feel motivated to apply the same method I applied. My daughter uh, turned out to be very musically gifted in spite of the fact that I was the child that hated music lessons because my mom made a lot of unconscious choices. Again, I don't fault my parents for anything. They were all operating at the level of consciousness that they were capable of based on what had been their experience as a child. So Jenny, I invited Jenny to write some follow-up posts so you can learn what to do to make sure your child does have a fondness and love for music. Now, I say they may not all grow up to be you know, your children most likely aren't going to be paid performers, you know, musicians, professional musicians, but they're not going to be professional soccer players or baseball players or basketball players, and you still put them in sports, see? So there's a way to do this, and I'm not saying you have to do it all. Your children really let you know where their natural connections are with things they're meant to, talents they're meant to develop. But it's interesting to me that the musical world tends to be treated a little more with a little uh, more intensity than possibly the sports world. Although, I agree, there are plenty of parents that go to extremes when it comes to children and sports. And so, yes, there needs to, we probably should do <laughs> some blog posts on that. Because most likely, your child is not going to grow up to be a professional athlete. They might be, but majority will not. And so you want them to have a positive experience so that they can continue to enjoy sports as an adult. I play a lot of tennis and the people, yeah, I've met many people in my tennis years that used to play, but they don't anymore because it was too stressful what they went through as children. And they don't know how to have fun with it because they were so programmed and imprinted with it has to, you have to approach this this way. So then on the Carol blog, my guest contributor, Jenny Collins, has posted her monthly post, Never Take a Sick Day Again, by doing this one thing instead. And you're going to read that post and learn about how last week at the time of this recording was a big planetary shift. We had the equinox, a solar eclipse, and a new moon. And all of that has an effect on our physical bodies, just like it does on the tides and the systems of nature, you know? Not only does it get nature to come forth in its new 
glory of new energy, but it supports us in coming forward in a new energy. <clears throat> so thank you, excuse me. Thanks for being on the show today, for calling to my one caller and for all those that emailed. Remember to go to Facebook and like thechildwhisper.com for or facebook.com forward slash the child whisper. And thank you so much for everyone that posts a review on the child whisperer Amazon page. There are many, 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 many five-star reviews and they're very, they're, I'm just moved every time I read them. I'm so grateful this information is helping parents. Thanks for joining me today on the child whisperer podcast. I will Talk to you next week. Create a wonderful week with your amazing family because you are an amazing parent. Thanks for listening. As a teacher, healer, speaker, best-selling author of The Child Whisperer and mother of five children, Carol Tuttle is honored to help you take the power struggle out of parenting and better understand the children in your life. If you'd like Carol to answer your question, call in next time or email your question to parenting at liveyourtruth.com. Carol invites you to learn more about the four types of children at thechildwhisperer.com and connect with her at thecarolblog.com. If you haven't read The Child Whisperer yet, get your copy through the Child Whisperer website and enjoy happier, more successful, more cooperative children.